And now it's time to bait our hooks, cast our nets, drop our poles in the water, and fish for some jokes with Down on the Dock. Well, well, well. Welcome to episode 75 of Down on the Docks. My name's Chris Neff, joined as always by my good friend and producing partner, Dave Sarah. How are you, pal? Hello. Milestone episode. Yeah. Yeah, 75. That's right. I mean, people sometimes people get married and they're 75 years married together. My parents just had their 52nd wedding anniversary and it was the first time they ever spent it separate. Oh really? Mm-hmm. My mother's in New Hampshire. My father's here in. Well, I know fifty. I know fifty's the diamond, but I don't know what seventy-five is. But it's probably it's the shamrock. Okay, there you go. It's the shamrock. Um, thank you, as always, for taking the time to tune into Down on the Docks. Uh, we had a lot of fun. The last. I don't know why weeks. I called it the shamrock. I thought for some reason it's the emerald. The is shamrock. that what you're thinking? No, the shamrock. <laughs> I don't know, something stupid. Uh, we enjoyed all your comments from the art fraud documentary, Made You Look. A lot of people are now on um, uh, the theory that I proposed that Ann Friedman p- kept that Pollock that was fake as an alibi. Yo, what was the guy's name again? Jackson Pollock, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's kind of famous. Okay. Dude, I heard somewhere recently, like it came up in some, one of my feeds, like a little conspiracy video mm-hmm. about him being a psyop. Like, oh, it's got to go- be true. Yeah, something like that. I don't remember. Yeah. I didn't. I and I mean, there's no other real. There's no really another Pollux that like in our that famous in American no. art, right? Okay, no, it's right. it's him. But that's hilarious. But the psyop has got to be true if you I saw it on I don't the know. internet. Yeah, I don't know what. <laughs> no, I mean, <laughs> seriously though. Yeah, of course. I think it was said. It was even said in some kind of. It was like figured out, like with legit foil. Oh, it's requests. true. Yeah. Yeah. Just you know, with it, the inter- I mean, it's flying it's 100%. jellyfish. Yeah. So anyway, have you seen the video uh, of the flying jellyfish? Guys, if you can uh, right now, Why? please go to Apple Podcasts, give us a five star review, or if you're on Spotify, uh, you can do uh, a review and comment there as well. And of course, give us a follow on Twitter at Down on the Docks Pod, or on Instagram at Down on the Docks Pod. Oh. <laughs> you, I was <laughs> waiting for you to reverse say I can say. Strike that. Reverse it. Twitter's down on the docks. And of course, yeah. email us at down on the docks at gmail.com and jump in the discord. If you want to contribute to the weekly conversation, that is down yes. on the docks. Uh, thank you. Retard sexual blowtorch 68 for the yep. meme. Uh, I didn't have time to post it this week uh, because life happens and sometimes Dude. it does, but it doesn't go unnoticed. And that's why you got to be in the discord. So uh, before we start, Dave, please tell uh, our listeners who this week's episode is sponsored by. This week's episode of Down on the Docks is brought to you by Broccoli Farms, established in 2016 San Diego, California by cannabis entrepreneur Anthony Bird. Broccoli Farms is a modern take on cannabis brands around the world. By combining new terminology involving cannabis worldwide, Anthony created a cannabis brand that uniquely represents the entire cannabis industry as one, Broccoli Farms. Are you sure it's not cannabis industry as four, maybe? The lowest delivery minimum in San Diego, fair prices and quality products makes Broccoli Farms one of the best deliveries in San Diego for almost a decade. Be sure to mention, we got to change that to a decade pretty yeah. soon. Yeah, good point. <laughs> Be sure to mention Down on the Docks podcast for 15% off your next order, along with first-time patient gifts and rewards. Fuck that pussy. 
Check them out today on Instagram at Broccoli Farm 619 and Dave's Sarah. Kush. Yeah. <laughs> blue dream. Kush. Blue dream. <laughs> Let me get some blue dream up in here, man. <laughs> uh, I dated that's, a stoner. That's Jackson Pollock. I dated a stoner that was into blue dream. That was her. Yeah. Is it good? But yeah, actually, blue dream. Like, really good, uh, like, really well-grown blue dream has a... Really good smell, really good taste. Yeah. It's a sativ skis. Okay. Good to Makes know. Makes your face high. I do like smoking sativa. Oh, um, that's uh, why I don't like marijuana cigarettes when they make your face all warm. I like that. See, oh, that's, I that's hate one, that. Well, that. Then you would like, like indicas more then. Yeah, but because then. Because the, the, the sativas, in my opinion, to me, mm-hmm. they make they get my face high. They get my face high and I right. get dumb face. Like, you know. But like, the you know, the indicas. They get me nice and they get me the bodies. And I know they, I mean, more, Guys, they always say the head high, but I feel it in the face. If you want to support the yeah, show, get Dave high. a little indica. Yeah. Um, Maybe our sponsor could do that one. <laughs> let's, uh, let's start with today's show. Um, we're going to follow up uh, last week's art doc, last two weeks prior, uh, with another art doc. Yeah, we're going now, art heavy. I am going to go on a limb. For dry January. And say, I have a feeling you're going to watch this documentary. Now, I, okay. I rarely say that from the jump. Okay. Okay. But I have a feeling yeah. you're going to find feeling. this uh, fascinating and you're going to say, Chris, anymore. I'm okay. going to go watch it. Now, here's the thing, okay. Dave. If you do decide that, you can't watch it for at least two weeks because, of course, we'll be recording part two next week. There's no rules in this game, <laughs> my friend. Struggle. The life and lost art of Sukolsky. Okay. That's S All right. Z-U-K-A-L-S-K-A-I. L-S-K-A-Y. Came out in 2008. It's directed by Eirik Dabrowski. Uh-huh. Double skis, bro. It's like this podcast. It's over at skis. It's on Netflix. Now, I'd seen this documentary when it first came out. <laughs> and I was like, wow, you know, I really want to cover this because I was curious to know if other people had not heard of this artist because I'd never heard of it till I'd seen this documentary. So, by the way, there, there's, there might be like a Zoomer listening right now. A Zoomer? I think those are like, it's under, it's like Gen Z. Oh, is that what they're calling Gen Zers now? Might be, Zoomers might be younger. Anyway, there's probably some Gen Zers well, out there like, oh, that's why he puts ski at the end of everything. Well, yes. as you know, Dave, I, I make ex- everything Polish. I have an extensive art background. Or Jewish. And I never heard of Zugalski. So this film opens up and we see uh, an old... Wait, wait. Yeah? You've never heard of Zugalski? Zukalski. Zukalski. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. so I thought I wanted to make sure we're talking what, about... What, have you already heard about Zukalski? Zukalski, sure. The artist? Yes. What kind of art does he do? I don't know. Okay. Well, I, that's because I'm not familiar with different types of art, but I've... Definitely heard of Sukalski. You've heard of Sukalski? Sure. But you don't know what he does? What kind of art he does? Yeah. I don't know. I'll just say I'll just say a sculpturalist. You're 100% spot on. There you go. Um, and as you know, we had a debate about sculptorist. Sculptor, last, and, and, sculptorist. Yeah. So we're, we meet Sukalski. Like, like plagiarizer is not a word. It's a plagiarist. I didn't know that. Oh, sure. Okay. okay. That's good. You learned. I mean, plagiarizer actually might be a word, but I'm pretty sure it's not. Well, I'm surprised you know who Sikorsky was. Yes. Anyway, we meet him, and he's dead. You met him, and no. he's, was, well, he's dead. <laughs> was, but yeah, he we, died in the '80s. You do know this guy. Yeah, yeah. I, I probably know this story too. Less parts of it. Okay, do you know he's from the Valley? Um, I thought it was. I was gonna say he was from Reseda. It's 
somewhere in the valley. Yeah, like Encino. I, it might be Van Nuys or something. Van Nuys, okay. It's all the same area. Well, here's the thing. It's we, all homogenized we, suburbia. We meet him on what's clearly old Betamax footage. Okay. Ooh, the Batesky's. And it's the 80s. Yeah. And he's this short little guy. By the way. Yeah. I guess all of that. I know. Oh, did you really? <laughs> no, no, I'm just joking. We see he's a he's in his 80s. He's got white hair. He's yep. a little short man. And um we're trying to figure out what's he doing in this video. He's dressed in a suit and tie, and he's got a little pointer, but it's like you know how like when you're in history school and you know class and a metal the, metal pointer. Yes, yeah, one's like tiny a pen? though. This one's yeah, tiny. It's like it's like it's like really supposed to be for like a a, a maestro. It looks yeah. It's like one of those. It's like the length of two pens, maybe. Okay, okay. But he he's got his. It's just a, it's just a, it's, it's just, awkward. It's just an antenna yeah. wire. The end of an antenna probably. probably. But he's pointing and he's got an easel up. Okay. Okay, an easel. But a tiny one. Small. Whoa. Okay. okay. Well, how tall is he? Well, I think what happened is this. Whoever shot this, <laughs> yeah, they were like. We don't, this camera doesn't go wide, Stukowski. Okay. So we're going to need you to get, put a little tiny easel on and you're going to have to make a, the pointer specific to it so it doesn't look like you're a little tiny guy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's so they, what I'm thinking. They scaled everything. They scaled everything. Whoa, okay. So we, this is our first inter, introduction of them. And then suddenly we see <laughs> statues from. This e is a banana. I'm going to put it here for reference. It's just a giant <laughs> fucking banana. <laughs> We see statues from Easter Island. Sick. Okay. Yeah. Maybe we're starting to get to uh -huh. why I know Sukalski. You know what those statues are called, Dave? Ooh, I should know. A Moai. A Moai. Okay. Moai. Moai? Yeah. E Moai? A Moai. 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 They say that there's like there's like bodies underneath them. Like like the bot like Who's the, they? No, hold Dave? On. The Illuminatskis. <laughs> okay. Um, they say that, I think they said that the head, the head is the head, but underneath the head mm -hmm. is like our bodies, like uh -huh. like the stone Full bodies. Bo stone, stone bodies. Well, that's not accurate. Okay. None of them have that? I don't believe so. Okay. Um, I know okay. that they dug up one that did have the full body, but for the okay. most part, it's just the heads. All right. And what they would cool. do is cool. these uh, Easter Islanders, they'd move them around on rolling pins. Sick. And then they'd bury half of them or whatever. Yeah, yeah, anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's been a while since I've studied Easter Island, but time yeah. to meet Glenn Bray. I don't think I've ever really studied. I mean, I guess we did study a little bit. Yeah, um, yeah, a little bit. We meet Glenn Bray. Now, he is uh, the celebrated collector of pop culture and, as he refers to it, lowbrow art. Okay. And he says, when I, when I made these Betamax films and I was sitting there for three hours, four hours a night, visit after visit, accumulating 200 hours, I knew I wasn't making them for me. Maybe if someday at the museum, somebody sees it and says, wow, we need to rewrite the history books. Well, we meet Stanislav Sugalski, and this is in the footage, and he says, says first thing, I survived tremendous hardships. Keep in mind, he's in his 80s. And Glenn says, I knew somewhere somebody would find these tapes and they'd see what was on there and make something out of it. That I knew. There are geniuses out there and I found mine. Well, suddenly the camera begins to slowly roll over around and we're no longer on uh, Betamax Zukalsk. Uh, we're on some sort of metal and we see the curves and the camera's floating on it and it's a bronze sculpture of some sort 
and the camera stays very close to the contours of the sculpture. So the effect is to obscure what the piece actually is as a whole. Okay. But then it's slowly revealed bit by bit. And as more light is cast on, it's clearly a sculpture. And it is at once striking, grotesque, deformed, and extreme. That's how we would describe it, in my okay. opinion. Okay. Well, we see that it's a hand. It my mother-in-law. Hey. It's a hand with claws. Okay. okay. All right. All right. Oppo- like some Beetlejuice shit. Opposing thumb created all civilizations. Ooh. Commonplace People cannot stand the idea that he has such importance. So they dig a hole between him and themselves. So this is struggle between quality and quantity. All right. Now we go back to the vintage footage. Right. And he's got a picture of his little struggle there in his eight inch pointer. Okay. okay. And he's now displaying his lost work called the struggle. Okay. Now, According to research, he created this, quote, struggle, uh, which is one of his most famous works. Now, it's a hand about five times as big as a normal hand, but from the fingers, there's little heads of eagles on the Sick, ends of the fingers. Dude. I know, right? That's why I thought you'd like Sick, it. Sick, dude. Now, the four fingers attack <laughs> the thumb, Ooh. symbolizing the struggle between quality and quantity. Interesting. Okay. Because quality is the thumb. Yeah. Quantity is the the fingers. fingers. All right? That's what I tell my girlfriend. (laughs) Now, the quality and the quantity of ordinary people against brilliant people. Fingers symbolize quantity and thumb quality, of course. Thumbs are interpreted as the creators of civilizations and fingers as the attack on those civilizations. Interesting. The thumb also symbolizes the person, uh-huh. the artist himself, who opposes society. Stanislav Skukowski. No wonder I always look at myself as a thumb. Yeah, as you should. <laughs> I look like one, uh-huh. too. Yeah. I look like a thumb. Yeah, I think you're being a little hard on yourself. Oh, thanks, bud. He says, without the thumbs, we would not make tools. And without tools, I already know what we could not retar- make civilization. I already know what retired sexual blowtorches meme is going to be. What is it? The hand? It's going to be the you're hand and all. You're going to be, be like, on the thumb. No, I'm going to be the. I'm going to be the four. I already look like a fucking eagle in all mm-hmm. these pictures. Giant nose. Well, so I'll, I'll be the. I'll be the quantity. You could be the quality. So, at my first initial reaction to this is what I kind of refer to as dirtbag art. Okay. Cool, cool, you remember cool. those guys in like Hunter Biden's arts? <laughs> no, no. Remember those guys in high school that would draw on their trapper keepers and it would be like dragons. It would be like the Stussy sign. No. Oh, okay. It would be like they're drawing dragons okay. and vipers and right. snakes. And for me, it's just not my Marvin thing. the Martian. Yeah, it's just not no no no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's it's like goth. Yeah, yeah, it's guy. Dark. It's like it's like fantasy art. Totally. And I'm immediately turned off by that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, you don't like you you, you, you don't know, like the implication. You, you, you just, know me. You, I'm an impressionist and an yeah. abstract expressionist yeah. lover. You know, okay. talking heads fan. We got it. <laughs> so title card up. Struggle, the art and lost art. Excuse me, the life and lost art of Sukalski. Now we fade in on the San Fernando Valley, which of course you know is right outside of Los Angeles. And Glenn says, "I never collected because they were famous. I collected things because I liked them." 
I grew up collecting comic books. And when I got a little bit more mature, I started collecting books on surrealism. Now, this would definitely, Zukalski's work would fall into surrealism. Okay. Okay. Give me an example of surrealism. Like uh, De Salvador Dali, the famous oh, okay, piece gotcha, gotcha, of gotcha. the, 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 it's almost the, the opposite the of realism. Clock, <laughs> the clock melting. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. Um, it's dreamlike, you know, yeah. uh, work. Um, and I do love, and I do love surrealism. Magritte, sure. Magritte is probably me, my, my favorite. I surrealist. think that most people can appreciate some sort of art from, uh, from every single category of art. Oh, absolutely. Now his, we see Glenn's as long collection as they're done well. We see and not fakes that were painted for thirty thousand dollars. I mean, still pretty good amount of money, <laughs> dude. Thirty grand. I'd still put it in my fucking. That bitch had it with the wrong name, and for all those years, how many people do you think knew? None. We're on another uh, podcast. Let's go. The same shit. We look. We see Glenn's collection. Okay, I would describe it as eclectic to say the least. We see pop art, various sculptures, and he's got Mad magazines and lots of underground comic books. Yeah. So we're gonna go to 1968, and Glenn says, "One day, I was in a bookstore in Hollywood, <laughs> and I was headed towards the surrealism section, and I see this brown spine. What I thought it was a snake on the binding. I thought, what is this?" The thing was like 200 pages, full drawings of photo and sculpture. And I'm like, this is incredible. And I hear, hey, kid, are you buying that? Are you just looking? So I bought the book. It was expensive because it was from 1923, and it was a Polish artist. Oh. I didn't know Poland from Portugal. I took the thing home. I read it 100 times, and I would just linger on a few of the pages. Well, I'd been visiting Robert Williams and Suzanne Williams for two to three years at this point. So I took the book and showed it to him. I said, what do you think? So let's meet Robert Williams. Yeah. Do you know who Robert Williams is? Yeah, sure. He was in uh, Aladdin and um, Mork and Mendy. Yeah, very close. Well, Robert is a famous uh, artist in his own right. Uh, very close? Yeah, yeah. I was... You know, he's an internationally famous painter oh. and illustrator. Oh, not Robert Williams. Uh, no, I got it. It just wasn't good enough, so oh. I pretended like it didn't exist. So by the nanu, late nanu. the late sixties, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but did I tell you that I just watched um, the history of Mork and Mindy? <laughs> Hell yeah, dude! Okay. Go fuck yourself. Sometimes, your sometimes you can find really good like uh, drama series, yeah, on Peacock, and they'll be like, "You want to know how the Mork and Mindy show went down?" <laughs> and it's like three hours, but it's an actual film. Yeah, and the guy that they cast. To do Robin Williams, he was perfect. I mean, can't do a Robin I Williams. I think I saw like a little. I remember so when I was watching a lot of Parks and Rec. Yeah. I think that commercial would come up. Gary Marshall it. play was in it. Yeah, he's, he's some like, guy. He's, got, Gary he's wearing like the the suspenders, like oh, yeah, the, yeah. the rainbow. Suspenders. Started out in the park in San Francisco doing yeah, sure. his mimery and all that stuff. And anyway, yeah, yeah. two and a half hours go by, and I'm like, "Well, this is awesome. How come nobody told Is that me good? About this? I mean, it's yeah, good. that's cool. I mean, I, I, I like I've been like wanting that. to see the the I Love Lucy one. I don't know if Peacock made it. Yeah, it, that's the Desi and Desi Arnaz with and Lucille Ball. Yeah, Nicole Kidman, I think, was in it. Yeah, I think she. I think she plays Lucy. Okay, and then, uh, I don't remember who plays Ricky. Well, Robert is a very famous big Lucy fan, pop uh, pop artist himself. Now he's not Warhol big, okay, but he's he's pretty well known, especially in the underground San Francisco comic scene. So Robert says. I belong to one of the lowest phylums of art culture that ever came in America. 
a rather unsavory world of underground cartoons that society considered novel pornography. Pornography. Ooh, I like this. I couldn't have been more happy. See, all this is free now. You what? Like, you used to have to go pay for shit like this. The like book? Whether, <clears throat> like, whether, like, whether you're... Okay, let's just say... I'm just going to give an example of what sure. you're talking about. Let's just say in the 80s, in the 80s, you had to pay to go see the things that they made in the 60s and 70s oh, also. Yeah, yeah. But also in the 60s and 70s, you had to go to like, you had to pay to like, go to these places to get that shit also. Like, now, mm-hmm. that type of shit, no matter what it is, anything underground yeah. is free. It's free to go look at. Go free to look at it. Free. Yeah. I mean, it's no, you're right. easily accessible on the internet. Like, the internet yeah. is kind of destroyed the art gallery this, mm, the art gallery yes it's kind of destroyed like the social aspect of um oh the actual of, like, process of, of enjoying yeah, yeah, art in public yeah, yeah exactly yeah of yeah, course yeah. well glenn which which really makes it which which actually gives it more of a meaning because you're not just sitting in a museum or a room with your friends yeah. talking about an art piece that yeah. can be the situation but you're in public you're appreciating a fountain or you're appreciating the the art walk or whatever the fuck their gallery like they have outdoor little they'd have to be selling their wares on the anyway okay. yeah well they still sell their wares on the street i know that but it's just uh it's anyway robert says glenn showed me the the book by a sculptor named stanislav sugalski extremely strong artwork 19th century sculptors that were so famous and so heralded it was like rodan and stuff i don't think they could have held a fucking candle to him He's talking about Rodin. They couldn't have held a testicle to that guy. You know, it's just remarkable. And uh, what was your questions? This is Robert Williams <laughs> being Robert Williams to the interviewer. So let's go to 1973. What was the question? <laughs> Robert Williams is a badass. He's yeah. just a cool dude. Well, it's 73, and Glenn Bray says, I walked into a bookstore in Tarzana, and I knew the, the lady. And I'd seen her before, and she had something pinned on the wall, and it was a poster, and it's who, Dave? Copernicus. Ooh, Copernicus. Yeah, now you know who Copernicus was. So Copernicus was. was the one that thought that we were the center of the galaxy and the, the, uh, and the sun rotated around us. You are correct. Okay. So he was a mathematician, Polish, yes. astronomer. It's not... St- the it's system he helios, proposed, yes, he, heliocentric means the Correct. sun is the, the center. He he proposed a heliocentric system, okay, meaning so it's that the, the planets orbit around the sun. Okay, so it's the opposite of what I thought. Okay, oh, I misunderstood. So Copernicus you. is the one who discovered that it's the heliocentric model. Okay, so so this guy's an idiot. Perfect. No, Copernicus is an idiot. Yeah, because there is flat. Oh, the sun rotates around yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, the earth, if the earth is flat, the sun's got to be a triangle, right? The sun is it within is local. It's not far. Oh, it's local. Okay. And it just moves. Like I, it doesn't set. It just moves further away. So from if you. I reached out of the bubble of the flat earth, I the could firmament, touch the sun. The firmament, okay. yes. So anyway. By the way, the moon lander mm-hmm. didn't make it today. Oh, did it's, fell, it's falling out of the sky. I did. I missed the firmament skis, dude. Okay, I'm joking. Go look at Breitbart. We don't need to do that. They can do that later. Anyway, he says Copernicus. Besides the Earth orbiting the Sun annually, it also turns once daily on its own axis, and that very slow changes in the direction of this axis accounts for the what, Dave? Uh, the um. Equinoxes. The axis, the equinoxes. Oh, okay. So, so okay. stolces. Yep. 
Now that's in the summer and winter. Earth spins on an axis that's slightly tilted, as you know, and the sun's gravity causes torque or twisting, so that the Earth wobbles like a top. All right. Yeah. The result is called precession, Mm -hmm. and it means our orientation in space changes in a circular path over a long time. Except the North Star. I don't know. It was always there. Well, Glenn, he continues. He says, I didn't know who Copernicus was, and I looked at it, and I see that shaky signature at the bottom, and I said, what's this poster? And she said, well, there's a nice man that lives in Granada Hills that (laughs) frequents the bookstore, and he gave me the thing to hang up. And I thought, shit, I thought he was dead, and he lives like five minutes away from me? Well, who would have thunk that? So she said, you know what? Let's go look him up in the phone book. And he says, I'm supposed to look up Salvador Dali or Picasso in the phone book? Go home. Call him up. This nice low voice answers. And he says, hello. (laughs) Well, Robert says, Glenn asked me if myself and Suzanne would go meet this guy. And Suzanne, that's Robert's wife. He says, we met Sukowski. What year is this happening? uh, 80s. So Suzanne says, we meet Sukalski at his own house, and this is probably the most intense meeting of any person I've ever met for the first time. And Glenn says, so, you know, I go over to this common post-World War II house, and I kind of was ready to look up when the door opened, but I had to look down. You know what I know fucking Sukalski from? Huh. I fucking can't, I can't believe I think I remember this. I think... I think it's one of the references in Clueless oh. when the gay guy and Cher. Uh huh. By the way, I'm the stone. gay guy because I know I'm reciting Clueless right now. Sure. When they're outside looking at Daddy's art, uh huh, and it's like all kinds of sculptures around the pool. Yeah. And it, and then and then he looks at one and goes, "Now this this isn't Sukalski. This is something else." Or like like. Something like he mentions he drops a, a, he drops a, a Sukalski, I think. I think he does. I want I gotta go back and listen now. But then he looks at something and goes, Now this, this is old. But I okay. just remember that whole scene. Well, yeah. we'll find out after the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well wait, wait. What do I, you mean? I'll go watch Clueless. Oh, I thought I'll you meant like they referenced this. Oh, oh no, I thought you meant like like, you know, it's no brought up in okay. no. There's no clueless references. Okay. But Glenn says, you know, <clears throat> he's shorter than me. He's 80. And I was probably 25 years old. And he shook my hand heartily, just an iron grip. And I saw these plaster monuments in his little den. And Suzanne says they're all beat up because they've been through an earthquake. But they were fantastic. <laughs> Fucking Northridge. That would have been 94. Well, right? But he died. I th- no, no. no I mean, there's there was a big were, one in seventy something uh, okay. that like fucked up a lot of like okay. East LA and all. So I'm assuming that was another like Northridge esque. Yeah, yeah. Well, Glenn describes the work as very European um, because his wife came out and served tea. Um, she not his work, just the whole. Um, I think you know all those vibe. earthquakes are from building tunnels underneath California, like Los Angeles, right? Who killed the electric car? I'm just saying, like all those earthquakes, and like yeah. San Francisco, all that, they're not from natural occurrence. It's not, a, it's not the San no. Andreas Fault. No, no, they're all from, they're all from tunneling. Tunneling? Mm-hmm. What? What were we tunneling for? <laughs> Who the fuck knows? Okay, have you been in these tunnels? 
Seen him on the internet. Let's go. All right. So wife serving the tea. It's a very European feel. And Suzanne says she seemed quiet and reserved, whereas he was the opposite. And Robert says, we didn't have what you'd call a conversation. We were talked to. Uh, it was a stream of consciousness, of information and visuals. And he couldn't sit still, and he was incontinent with imagination. Uh, and then Stanislav, we go back to his little clips from the Betamatics, Cyclops with one eye on the forehead, stuffed mattresses on the shoulders so they look like titans. In whole of history, you will not find anything equal to this. So throughout this film, he puts up image after image of crazy surrealistic art, okay? Okay. So, I mean, you name it. It's there. Like a fucking, <clears throat> like a like a turtle with the earth uh, on its with back. With five flying, eyeballs. Flying yeah, through yeah, the earth. Yeah, it's very, it's very striking work, a lot of this stuff. And Glenn says, I could tell he loved it because I'm sure he wasn't having anybody else come around at the time. Okay, so he's got himself a little audience of these, you know, young people that are interested in his work. Yeah. And again, we see him. That is very strong arm. Uh, and he's flexing his muscles. Right. And he's like, it's like a weenie, like a sausage. <laughs> All right. Okay. And he's 80 at the time. Yeah. And he's ripped. Oh, he's ripped. Yeah, he's got oh. a, he looks better than I am. For, yeah. Well, I mean, Glenn you look says, terrible, that's why. boastful. Uh, he would say the most outrageous, outlandish things. And I think it was because I grew up watching Freddie Blossie that I thought it was hilarious. Now, do you know who Freddie Blossie no. is? No. I, I hadn't heard that name either. Okay. Well, he was an American professional wrestler and oh. manager known by the ring. Wait, 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 wait. You talking about Fred Cla DiBiase? No, classy Freddie Blossie. Oh, Blossie. Okay. He was renowned as the Hollywood fashion plate. He was a one-time NWA World Junior Heavyweight Champion, and he was inducted into the World uh, WWF Hall of Fame in 94. Oh. He is regarded huh. as one of the greatest wrestling heels or villains of cool. all time. And Freddie Blossie, we see him in an old uh, black and white video. I guess his name is Fre Fred DiBiase. What was, Fred, what was DiBiase's first know. name? I don't know. He, he, we hear Freddie in this old image. He says, you know, what color, was, uh, what color undies did he wear? And they were black because everything was black and white. <laughs> it was black and white color okay, TV. Good point. You know, great men come along very seldom, but I am one of the greatest <laughs> that ever did come along. And uh, Sukalski says, I am the greatest authority on any subject that has pictographic value. Okay. Okay. Well, he says, I was the most renowned. He just yells? Yes. Okay. Sculptor in America. Okay. I never was referred to any other way except genius. <laughs> and right. Suzanne says, I remember distinctly going, I have the worst headache I've ever had in my life. Yeah, <laughs> I can relate. Because it's a lot to take in. And Glenn says, I thought he was amazing. He'd stand uh, at a sculpture tell you very great detail about it and why he made it. This hand was more than four times larger than life size. 
Well, one of the things that struck me especially was the work struggle. This is Glenn. And Stanislav says, Sugalsk, he says, it is somewhere in Poland. Oh, but shit. no one knows about it because I live in Los Angeles. Well, it turns out it was missing. And uh, Glenn's, a, you know, he's been out of shape. Now, is this now Sukalski? Yeah. At this point in time? Yeah. Do we know anything about him? Like, has he made a good living as an artist for himself? We don't know. Okay. All we see is this little two-bedroom house in Granada Hills. Yeah, which is shithole. It's not the best. It's always been a shithole. It's not awful, though. It's where I used to go pick up my cocaine back in the day. Okay. But Glenn, at this point, says, wait a minute, so this piece is lost? He's like, this is an amazing, brilliant piece. And then he says, well, he's got a bunch of work here, meaning in the house that nobody's seen, and I don't know why. Why did this guy get left behind? Meaning, why is he a part of the history books? So I'd visit him alone with people like Ray Zone, and I took George DiCaprio. Now, of course, you know who George DiCaprio is. Leonardo DiCaprio's father. Correct. And George says he, guess. he offered us a glass of What does George DiCaprio do? Well, according to this, he's an artist, a writer, and distributor, and father of Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> what an accomplishment. Okay. <laughs> so uh, he offers us a glass of port, but he was very careful to empty the glasses out and have all the marble dust fall out. Okay. And he was an amazingly fun guy, um, but you, you got a lecture. Um, and Robert says... When you met Sukalski, the first thing he would ask, what's your nationality? <laughs> <laughs> what's your background? Yeah, yeah, you might as well make sure there's no spies. You could say, I'm Brazilian, or you could say, I'm English. And he had a reason to run that country down in detail. Hell yeah. Well, I'm Armenian. I don't know anything about the Armenians. England never had conquerors who came and invaded. Now, this, of course, we know not to be true. Hmm. Because you ever hear a guy named William the Conqueror? Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's a good point. Well, well, I guess the Muslims are invading it right now. He was actually known as Norman Conquest. And in 1066... Uh, Refugees. Well, no, no, excuse me. He'd forgotten about the Norman Conquest in 1066. Okay. And, well, I think we all... And William the Conqueror yeah. conquered fucking England. I forgot to file my 1066. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, thanks to research and Jess for that one. Anyway, you have to remember that because of this, you had one of um, English society's largest shifts in society and architecture because of William the Conqueror doing his conquering. Okay. But William be conquering. It's Zukowski's world, and we're just going to go with it. Yeah. Ink is Robert Williams. I think, England, I think maybe he means, well, what was William, what nationality was William the Conqueror? Uh, maybe a gull? I don't know. Fucking gulls. Fucking barbarian. <laughs> fucking gulls. Dude. Dude, he was probably a Visigoth. I don't fucking know. A yeah, Visigoth. <laughs> you know? Came up it's from... Tartarian, dude. He, he didn't come down from the north. I know that. <laughs> I think I know that. William. Yeah, his name was Bill. Bill okay? Bill the Conqueror. <laughs> Bill. Get the fuck out of here, Bill. <laughs> hey, guys. Bill's gonna <laughs> conquer us over here. Fucking... Psh. Robert says, England is an island of rabbits, and even rabbits can survive on an island. Well, apparently you can't survive on rabbits, though. Well, Glenn says, okay, I'm a rabbit. I can settle with that. And Suzanne says he was very bigoted, but he was bigoted in a very unusual way. 
So Robert says, you go to a filling station or something, and he would jump out of the car and go over to the attendant and start no, no, measuring no, no, no. their arms. No, 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 no. <laughs> Let me explain something to you. This is not, this, this is the problem with people. This is not bigotry. This is what national pride was, or, eth- or like ethnic pride was uh-huh. in the n- 1900s. Yeah. <laughs> this guy was probably born in 1901. I think earlier. Okay. But... It's a you don't think it's a little awkward to get out of a, a fucking filling station and see a little guy run over with a measuring tape measuring people's arms? Well, I mean that thing that's a, that <laughs> thing that's a goof. He's doing that shit for no, the goof. He was serious about. That's it. like how Dice used to like measure chicks' waist and shit. Well, I did it for the goof. We're gonna get into a little bit of Dice, Z- really? Zukalski. Okay. Oh, okay. He would refer to these people as Yeti. Okay. Yeti. Mm-hmm. Mm. Troglodytes yeah. or Australia Pithecus. I would say Yeti. Yeti. Yetis are those fucking abominable snowmen. I know that's what that is. They're but like he's, monsters. He means that's that's what he's referring to. That sounds monster. to me like he's a little racist. It sounds <laughs> Yiddish or something to me, or like Hebrew. Is Yeti? Well, Dave, did you know troglodytes were members? I know what troglodytes are. Uh, go ahead and tell me. They're like fucking uh, single-celled bullshit. Uh, that's kind of a generalization. Okay. They were members of any various peoples, as in antiquity. Who lived or were reputed to live chiefly in caves, i.e. the cavemen, okay. Neanderthal. The genus Australopithecus. Wait, wait, troglodyte isn't like a like a like a cell? No. It's You're an talk, actual type of an amoeba. Oh, I know that. Uh-huh. But so an tro- actual troglodyte is like something like it was like an a t- almost a type of human? It just means fucking caveman. Caveman. Yeah. I didn't know that. It's good. Yeah, anyway. The genus Australopithecus is a group of small-bodied and small-brained early hominin species, which are relative to humans, of course, if you believe in evolution, <laughs> that were capable <laughs> of upright walking but not well adapted for traveling long distances on the ground. And Suzanne describes his behavior, meaning the measuring of people's arms at filling stations, right. as quirky. Yeah. They have extraordinary short arms, two short legs, long, long torsos. Well, he's not talking about black people. Throwback to Yeti. What is he talking about? Like, he pointed at one of his little fucking paintings on his easel. Oh, I think he's like <laughs> no. the bathroom attendant, or the, <laughs> the gas attendant. Like, what, what was the guy? Fucking Indian or something? Jesus. <sighs> well, Robert says you couldn't point out this kind of stuff to him like a little. You like this questionable behavior. This is a little questionable, you know. No, I'm saying. And Glenn says at the time, it's a different it was, time. Yeah, it was kind of funny because of the fact he believed so much of what he was saying. And Suzanne says, now I'm sure he thought people were lesser than him, but I know. She says, excuse me, I'm not sure if he thought people were lesser than him, but I know he thought he was the greatest. And DiCaprio says. He was such a contrarian, he had no use for the entire gamut of human beliefs. Most of the time, I told you, dude, I think you're going to like this one. We would kind of humor him, and we would have no way of knowing what these things connected to in his past. If I knew back then what I know now, I would have been compelled to warn my friends to stay away. Oh, boy. (laughs) I don't like the sound of that. Glenn spent an awful lot of... Sounds like somebody's going to get crushed with a sculpture. Glenn spent an awful lot of time with him, but me and Suzanne spent enough time with him. Yeah. 
And Glenn says, we were always calling each other uh, Mr. Bray, Mr. Sukalski. I had published books in the early 70s, but little comic books. And I'd say, we should do a book about you, you know, on the cheap. No, no, no. I'm waiting for China. I'm waiting for Swedes. They're going to do a big, big book on me. And I said, okay, but, you know, I'm here, you know, get back to me. Why did he ever go into detail? What do you mean by the Swedes or China? I don't know. We're going to have to wait and find out. Okay. So one day I'm sitting there and we're discussing a drawing of his. And I jokingly remarked, you just draw what you see, right? And he looks at me and says, oh, you don't know. Well, let's go to central Poland in a town called Giedle. One pole rule them all. I was born in a little town in Poland. This was very long time ago. 1893, Dave. <laughs> yeah, my boy. Well, Glenn boy. says, he says, I was four or five living in Gildley or somewhere. My parents really let me do whatever I want. And he wanted to see how long he could look at the sun because he loved the glow of the sun. Oh, my God. Well, little did he know he burned a hole oh. in his cornea. No shit. And his entire life, he was drawing and sculpting with a dot in his eye. Yeah. So when I was seven, I was carving figurines for my harem. <laughs> I had about three, four beautiful girls my own age that I loved. At what age? Seven. <laughs> Only one way I would be nice to them was give them little sculptures. And they called me a sculptor. So ever since, I wanted to be a sculptor. So he's got two holes in his eyes? Yeah, apparently. Huh. He's got so a hole in each eye and he's got a harem at the age of seven. So that's why he he paints all crazy and crazy shit because he fucking, he's just seeing swirls and shit. Probably. <clears throat> Pretty cool. Well, Glenn says I'd ask him, how, how'd you end up here? And he'd start to tell me and then he'd go into something totally different. Mother was saying, oh, we must go. The train will leave without us. But I came and got this piece of wood, and I'm constantly attached to it. I carried it to America. We see this little piece of wood. What is the... Just a fucking piece of wood. <laughs> okay, man. All right. Being, so being around countless hours, you could kind of start to piece a story together. Well, he went to Chicago when he was 12. So let's go to Chicago. Nice. My dad went to Chicago when he was like 19. Let's go to Chicago. It's 1906. I came with my mother and sister and father, a blacksmith in a factory in Chicago. He was much smaller, shorter than I, because all Europeans are malnutritioned. Well, we see a sculpture he did of his father and it's fucking out there. Okay. Okay. It's, it would, I would describe it as, Expressionism, uh, impressionism, somewhere in between. Does it look like Medusa's face? It's there's there's a hint of realism, but it's stretched. But it's not stretched to the obscure or to the extreme that let's say surrealism is. Yeah, it's it, that in that regard, I would say it's more of an impression than anything. Okay, and Glenn well, says, "Well, I mean, you know better than Sokolsky, obviously." He told me. He loved his father more than anyone. This is Glenn. He says, he, he either showed me a picture or I saw a drawing of his. Then when he went to school, he decides to invent his own alphabet. Okay? Mm. He's 12. Yeah. So, I mean, 
To be fair, uh-huh. it's probably not that hard to invent an alphabet, even when you're 12. I disagree. Well, because I'm going to tip something off. He what? wrote in this alphabet uh-huh. his entire life. Okay. okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. So you're basically writing in a language that only you can read for the yeah. rest of your life. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's why he started this laborious alphabet. Okay. And we see it. I was going to say, I wasn't even going to say, you, you don't even have to, do you even have to really assign... None of these things can make anything. I'm well, I was saying, gonna say maybe it was all bullshit. None of it really means yeah, anything. I mean, you could just make the alphabet and pretend like his alphabet looks like it was made of snakes. Okay, <laughs> it's a lot of different, <laughs> a lot, a lot of, of different snakes. S's. Yeah, so this is an S, and this is a Z, and this is sort of an S and Z. He says schools distort original inclinations we have as infants. Then we are modified, made commonplace, so we think like everybody else. And the principal goes up to his father and says, your son's got to go by the rules. He can't just make up his own handwriting. And his father was like, this is his writing. And if it becomes illegible, then we'll talk about it. But until then, he's going to use his own language. (laughs) (laughs) And he used it his entire life. Okay. Okay. Did his parents know how to read his language? I don't know. They don't say. Ah, <laughs> uh, you spelled onomatopoeia wrong. Well, they show an insert of a check he wrote, and he was pissed. And he wrote it out in his language, but then he also transcribed it. Oh. And he was like, it was a bill he had to write. And he was like, you scum suckers and, you know, whatever. And then underneath. What the kind his, of language is this, man? That's the whole point. What his language this? didn't work. Yeah. Because he had to this? translate his own language every Arabic? time he used it. <laughs> Well, you could see a childishness about him. Arabic? Uh, you know, you could see that nobody ever really sat his fanny down and straightened him out. Yeah. And he was obsessed with language. He would tell us about words. They would have all these significant and different meanings that were relatively universal. Well, he's back at his, uh, he's back at his easel, and then he goes, Blogger don't shock the dog! Blogger don't shock it off. <laughs> All right. Okay. And then we look at the word on the easel and it's whore. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's how you say whore yeah, in uh, Zukowski. This talk. is starting to sound like some people's stand up bits. Well, anyway, we see another piece. And he's holding up a sign with the word Washington written on top. Okay. <laughs> and then what also looks like Washington, but it's on his own snaky alphabet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the phrase is squiggle vision. And then a phrase above is written below that, suggesting that he has explained how the word Washington means warship from elsewhere sank. Oh. Okay. Warship <laughs> from el- uh, elsewhere. All right. Not from this world. Okay. Uh, a world that disappeared 14,000 years back right after the Atlantis, deluge. Sure. Atlantis or Tartaria, sure. One of those two. All right. Got well, it. Robert says, we went over to his house one time. I dared to stick my stuff in front of him, and he looked at it for a while, and he said, you're brilliant, but you have to get out of the gutter. You have to get out of the gutter. Now, we see some of Robert's work here. There's a lot of titties in there, okay? Yeah. And he says, we had this kinship of craftsmanship that kind of bonded us together. We got to uh, be good enough friends with Stanislav that he would allow us to call him uh, his little pet name, which was Stas. Aw. I really worshipped the guy. 
This is like reaching back through time past the World War and pulling something out. You'll never find this right out of these European academies. Well, he's back at his little podium. This, I did this at Chicago Art Institute. A sculptor advised my father to send me to Europe, so I was sent when I was 14. So they ship him off to Krakow, Poland, all right? 1908. Krakow Academy of the Fine Arts. Well, he, Robert says, I was continually drilling him for information about what it was like to deal with these old academies. And he said that he came in as a young fella, and he was too young, actually, but they gave him a test. So then Stanislaus says, it was life-size girl nude. There were 171 candidates, but only 11 admissions. And I did nothing but the end of her knee. And off that alone, stylization of, his, of her knee, the kid got in. And they're like, this kid's something. Yeah. Okay, this kid does some knees. <laughs> yeah, you know how hard it is to do just the knee? Professor says, gentlemen, he is accepted without examination. Then I got in quarrel with professor. He says, you either work for models or you have to leave academy. I never work for models. Working for model destroys talent. I said goodbye and I left right at that moment. If you want to create new things for this world, never listen to anybody. You have to suck your wisdom, all the knowledge from your thumb. Your own self. Now, at this point, what is he? Fuck 14, maybe? We see. <laughs> is it really? Yeah. We see the work that he's done, and they're amazing. And they're all sculptures, okay? And these are done without models. Yeah, nice. <laughs> we see a self-portrait. And Sukowski had a large, prominent nose, okay? Sure. But he also had very effeminate features. Okay. okay. Well, next we meet Ernst Fuchs. Now, he is a painter and founder of the Vienna School of Fantastic Realism. When I saw the works of Zukalski, this was astonishing. You know, all this sense of beauty and a sense of spiritual eroticism. And he's right. We see this, this sculpture of his... Woman's got some big titties hanging out. All right. You know? Maybe that's where the original, like, big titty kind of, like, gothic Viking shit used to come from back in the day. No. Nah, that, right. Trust me. Right. The fucking uh, Aborigines, they've been doing titties forever. You're right. And then you got uh, Aztecs and the Maya Mayans. They love titties. <clears throat> well, I'm looking at some of his stuff right now. It's very interesting Look up stuff. Echo, because I'm going to talk about Echo right now. Which one's Echo? Just Google it. Ooh, the alien monument, dude. Wow. I know. So we see Echo, and it's a bronze sculpture Ooh. of an incredibly muscled, faceless man shielding himself with his hands and hiding his head deep in his chest and armpit area yeah. while his left leg pushes away what looks like waves that he's created. Now, these muscles and lines of the body are distorted and exaggerated, but still clearly depict a very strong, wow. powerful man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a sculptor by the name of Jose Ismael Fernandez describes his work and says, the way he tortures to me, the way he tortures the body, it's just incredible how he can push and pull, but it still makes sense and it conveys yeah. the emotion he wants to convey. It's true, yeah. Art cannot be proper. Art must be exaggerated. 
Bend down till your spine cracks. You must exaggerate the likeness. Well, we meet a fellow sculptor by the I name of... I see what of, you mean about the one about his dad. The stretching. Yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty out there. It kind of looks like Vader from the side. It does look a little Vader-esque. Yeah. Um, well, we meet a woman named Karen Mortellaro. She's a sculptor herself. Wow. And she says, I look at the detail of what he did and to know that he did his work in plaster, the personal expression that he's bringing out, I think he used sculpture as a medium to show his soul. Sick, yeah. I work faster than any sculptor ever could because I never hesitate. I never alter anything because I start with an idea. Look up imploration. Dude, this Last Supper is pretty <coughs> sick, too. We'll give imploration. It a, imploration. Now, imploration, uh, we see it on the, on the film, and it's another bronze sculpture of a heavily muscled man reaching his twisted right hand skyward while his left hand is above his left knee, and it mirrors the right with the same bent contorted fingers. His face is tilted upward, and his mouth is open in what seems to be a plea or even a prayer or earnest supplication bordering on begging. Well, Fuchs says, Zukalski was the Michelangelo of the 20th century and probably also of an age to come. Hmm. He did David. He did his own version of uh, nice. David. And it's King extraordinary. David. No, Michelangelo's David? Yeah, is from King David. Oh, that, oh that's yes. David and David, Goliath? David and the Goliath David, yes. Really? Wow, Chris. Never Somebody thought about it. So I thought it was just fucking, some guy named Dave. Uh, you make me sick. All right. So Zukalski's <clears throat> David. Uh, the face seems to reflect uh, exquisite pain while the body and limbs are larger than life in their proportions. Dude, it looks like an Armenian guy. Like, what the fuck, <laughs> dude? What the fuck, man? But the extravagant musculature and extreme contours of the sculpture imply movement. So he appears to have just jumped. Okay. Now, yeah, it's got some. It's I, dude. It, it's a very distinct style. Like it's, <clears throat> I know what they mean exactly when they say that it. It seems like a probable, like it seems like a position that is, that is like possible, or, but it's got some abnormalities to it. But also, there's movement in it. The the pushing and the pulling mm -hmm. of the bodies yeah. is such an apt description because they do look tense and. Um, but how do we go our whole life not knowing about this guy? Well, I, I, you've gone your whole life till now. No, you vaguely remembered a clueless I remember, reference. I, I don't even know if it was. And this guy's probably been appropriated by you I've, flat I've earthers must, been, for some fucking garbage that's not fucking true. I mean, there's some, there's a lot of, there's some pieces I've seen in here before. Okay, you ever hear of Ben Hacked? No. Okay, well, he was considered one of the 20th century's greatest screenwriters. Well, he was a very close friend of Sugalsk's. Yeah. And just to give you some... Mr. Uh, Miyagi probably was too. Well, he he reads from a book he wrote called A Child of the from Century. Reseda. A Child of the Century, okay. which was his own auto, autobiography. I put Rodin in one pocket and Michelangelo in the other, and I walked towards the sun. Zukalski said in his powerful youth, a movie is never any better than the stupidest man connected with it. Out of the 70 movies I've written, some 10 of them were not entirely waste product. Now, just to give you an idea on Hex's work, he did Kiss of Death, uh, His Girl Friday, the original Scarface, Gunga Din, Hunchback of Notre Dame, 
uh, Gone with the Wind. This guy's an OG. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Stas used to tell Glenn that he and Ben Hecht were very close and they'd pal around the streets of Chicago back in the day. So in 1914, in his autobiography, Hecht recalls his years as a Chicago reporter and his friendship with a genius sculptor just back from Krakow. And Hecht, this is him reading from his autobiography, says he was my own age with a strongly muscled body and a grace dominating his half shabby clothes. That sounds like porn. Don't judge me by my feminine face. Girls liked me with the long hair and I relished it. Sound like somebody you know? No. I'm talking about me. Oh. Well. (laughs) Dude, okay. Yeah. You answered about the Jackson Pollock. Yeah. This is a totally different thing. This is a sculpture now. Mm -hmm. Would you pay somebody to make an exact replica if they did it the same way he did it? (laughs) No. You fucking pussy, dude. No, because you can't. You don't fake a fucking masterpiece and say, this is a fake. It's it's, a replica. Okay. You're saying it's an exact replica? That made by hand. Statues are a little different. You make it by hand. You get it as close as possible. Statues are a little different because. I'm saying that's why, like, if you knew. So you're not saying it's cast. No, absolutely not. He did. did, It's not a tchotchke. They did it the same way he did it. Okay. Same size, same everything. Okay. It's basically, so you're saying, would would I watch the remake of Psycho like Gus Van Sant did just because it's Psycho? Yes, I would because I did watch it and I got something out of it. So yeah, I probably would. Okay. I wonder how much Stokowski goes for. It's not going to be my piece de resistance. All right. I'm not going to put it in my fucking, yeah, with catalog your fucking reservoir dogs poster over here. <laughs> no, that's in my living room. Is my piece de resistance, my my street graffiti. Okay. Bangsy. Yeah. So anyway, uh, Ben, he says, where did you learn your anatomy? And Sukalski began talking softly. And he said, I love my father so much. Well, one morning I came home and he wasn't there. No, no. Down the road, there's a crowd, and I go and look. And he's on the floor. It's my dad. Uh. He'd been killed by an automobile. Oh, shit. Uh-huh. So he picks up... What happened is he picks, My mother was driving the automobile. He picks his dad's dead body up, throws it on his shoulder, takes it to the morgue. At what age? I don't know. Okay. 1914, so he's probably like 18. Okay. Takes well, it to the morgue yeah, yeah. and says... He's 11. No, no, 19 what? 1914. 20-something. I can't remember what year he was born. 1893. Okay, so 21. And he says, this is my dad, and uh, I want to dissect his body. And uh, they let him. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so we found who H.H. Holmes is. Great. (laughs) And he says, my father taught me how to do what I do. Yeah. So we see more. This guy wins the World's Fair. He's in Chicago. It all it's starting all to, starting to make buddy. Fuck True Detective season shit. four. We got season five right Holy here. Holy shit! Well, at this point, we see more works, and it's the more deformed, you know, hideous, exaggerated, surreal sculptings that he did. Now, he says, after my father was killed, I had no income. Whole weeks sometimes where I had nothing to eat, but I never betrayed my friends that I was hungry and I never asked for help. And DiCaprio says he was the classic tortured, starving artist, and he got notorious for being a bad art boy. 
He was one Ooh. of those guys. Like a bad boy of art? Yeah. 1916, Dave. Wow. So he says he's almost like a punk. And there's famous incidents of him having an art critic come to his studio, kind of walking in, twirling the cane, tapping it around, and he threw one down a flight of stairs. <laughs> he was like, Get You the threw fuck one out. of the people down? Yeah. The oh, okay. I thought you meant one of the pieces got thrown down the stairs. No, he threw an art critic down the stairs. <laughs> Sounds like my type of guy. Art critics are parasites who absolutely know nothing about art. Kind of like you in, fa- in Round Earth. You know what I mean? Yeah. Fair assessment. Yeah. I think it's a mean comedy. <coughs> no, God knows. You're way better at comedy than you are flat earth. Hey. Round earth. Whoa. So uh, at this time, he's at the Chicago Art Institute, and they get an exhibit of his work. And apparently there was some objection to the political nature of it. Um, and it was against British imperialism. And we see a black and white sketch of the head of a man who's gouging out his eyes with mm. his own enormous, abnormally veined hand. Okay. This is why I think you're going to be into this stuff. Parasites have to get new nations to live off of because empire builders never have enough wisdom to create agriculture. It's All like, right. bro, you're really running the gamut here with yeah, this statement. That's what happens. Well, the a gallery... A lot of time to eat. I mean, the, a lot of time to think when you're not eating. The gallery... <clears throat> Is like, you got to take this stuff down off the walls, all right? And he just destroys the place. And they toss him out. So maybe you're dealing with some kind of artistic Blackbeard the pirate here. Yeah. (laughs) Robert Williams says. And he says, and the press constantly has articles about me. Stanislav's locker. The locker? Like her locker? I was trying to say like Davy Jones's locker. Oh, got it. Well, we see these articles and he's not doing so well in the press. Sculptor has weird ideas. Sculptor wants pig farm. That's hilarious. (laughs) How the statues modeled from his father's corpse that proved too grim for the public. Well, Hacked, again, reading from his autobiography, he says he has the nose of a South American anteater. And walks like an escape. Jesus Christ. That sounds a little anti-Semitic to me, guys. Jesus Christ. Next one. They eat cheese? Come on. What the fuck? And he walks like an escaped Frankenstein. Well, Suskowski says, Ben Hecht, when writing about me, describe me as youth with sledgehammer comments. And Bray says, Hecht was Stash's biggest promoter back in the 20s in Chicago. And I know he wrote an article for Vanity Fair. And DiCaprio says, even then they talked about, he seemed to think different than other people. I really believe that was the reason why he was so different. Uh, The reason he was so different has to do with the construction of his mentality. I heard him mention that he especially enjoyed American jazz because that was something that he couldn't, you know, couldn't be taught. Right. It's a way into the way he thinks about things. Art that is engendered within yourself is so important, not formalized, academic forms of art. Very often he described his own education, which mainly consisted of looking at different things from different cultures and primitive carvings. He was attracted to the language that was embedded in the image itself, (laughs) forming his own ideas and own interconnections, which made him the greatest autodidact of our age. Autodidact? Mm-hmm. 
autodidact. What does that mean? <laughs> I was just waiting. It means self-taught. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, time to meet Dr. Piotr. Peter. Ripson. How do you spell, how do you spell this name? P-I-O-T-R. Oh, it's just, they've got so many different It's the Polish of- Peter. Peter? Yeah. Peter. He was thinking about the necessity for indigenous, or indigenous American art that would be free of French or other influence. And DiCaprio takes this further and says, Mesoamerican cultural symbols attracted him in a magnetic way. This was self-born art. It wasn't imposed on them by a conquering culture. There was a wonderful cross-pollinization of style and cultures. And Piotr says, so here we have Zukalski as a reborn artist who suddenly sees a potential in developing national art. Now, DiCaprio said his brain is one of the most singular creations of the last century. Now, that's a pretty, pretty fucking big statement. Mm. Hold on. Yeah. It's not a very big statement. Say this quote again. His brain is one of the most singular creations of the last century. Okay. Yes. My brain was one of the singular creations. Your brain... Yeah, I Come guess on. you're right. It's, it's not so profound. Take a, uh, bring up um, Primerica that he did. Sure. Because at this point in the film, we see Primerica, and it's another massive bronze sculpture, but it's two men, and there's a lot of like Aztec imagery in it. There's eagles, there, there's eyes, but there's metal bolts, and there's hands. And, you know, again, you have this combination of uh, very... Uh, uh, impressionist uh, combined with surrealism. What was the name of it again? Pro-America. Pro-America. Yeah. So he describes this piece as there is an Aztec priest. Oh, I was going to say with also uh, indigenous um, elements to it. There's an Aztec priest. Oh, I'm looking at it now. Yeah. Blessing blueprints of young American engineer. When there's a slight breeze of wind, the whole monument will hum, which is a symbol of hope, because America is hope of mankind. I proposed University Tower between Mexico and Texas, All right. where they would I form... Like how, I like when they have specifics yeah. to go along with their rants. Yeah, where they, ha- they would form one culture that would spread to all countries. And here I have this project, and the monument will be humming. But I don't know what to do with it in present America. So we moved to 78 and we, uh, we meet a fellow art collector named Lena Zvalvi. And she says, I was living in Holland at the time and my first husband was a comic book artist. We came to the United States and we traveled around and met a lot of artists. And of course, we went um, to the number one collector, which is Glenn Bray. And I thought Glenn was such an interesting guy, so I just decided to stay. And Glenn says, I started taking her over there, and that made a world of difference. And she says, Glenn took me there. I knew he was really, really interested in Sukalski, and I had never heard about him before. And I was blown away by the art that I saw. It was beautiful. And I noticed how sturdy he was. He looked really, really, really strong, and he had piercing eyes. He had the most beautiful piercing eyes, and we see his eyes. They're, They're beautiful. They're blue. Oh, my piercing. God. Oh, my God. Well, he was ena- uh, Zukalski was enamored with her because she was European. And Glenn says, I was the rabbit. 
And Lena says, well, Stash really liked me in the first place because I was a woman, and he loved all women. In the second place, I came from Holland, and Holland had gone through the war and terribly suffered. Therefore, Stash felt like he could talk to me. So Stash is a Zukowski. Yeah, it's his nickname that yeah. he, he lets yeah. you use after you've been sucking his dick for five years, seeing yeah. how great he is. That meant something to him. She had the background of wars on her soil. And one day he called me Glenn, and I thought, that's strange. Okay. He always told us the main reason he wanted to be an artist is so beautiful women would be interested in him, ah, which makes completely sense. Sure. That's why I'm a comic, Dave. Yeah, it was a, it was a beautiful women can love you. <laughs> Not kidding. First time I ever did stand-up, I saw this girl. I was uh, attracted to her, and she was a stand-up. And... Um, uh, I said, so what, what is this? A little, little, you guys do your skits around here? <laughs> top of this, dabble a little top bit. of this little uh, basement club thing. Yeah. And she goes, if you think you're so funny, you come back and do it next week. And I did. And then I dated her for two years. Yeah. One of the worst relationships I ever had. <laughs> anyway, Stas says, it's sex that brings us all abilities we have. Well, we meet an actress by the name of Re Rebecca Forstadt, and she said you could tell that he was still very much alive in that area, meaning down in the pants. I mean, he, he was so charming. You just love being around him as a woman, and in a way, old-fashioned, but also in a bohemian way, too. <laughs> yeah, and Williams, bohemian dancing. William says, I was just a, as obsessed, but, man, you know, I kept it under the collar, you know? Uh -huh. To him, it was poetic language, yeah. and it had to be expressed, you know? Learning I used to think, song. well, man, I can't wait till I get to be 70 or 80, and I don't have to think about pussy anymore. Right, right, right. But it's obvious that you carry that to the grave, you know, because I'm 73, and <laughs> I can't get it off my mind, you know? Oh, boy. So I guess that's something to think about. If Pussy you're, on the mind. No, I mean that as you get older, you don't stop thinking about it. Yeah, you just know you can't get it. No, I mean, where there's a will, there's a way. Yeah. Well, this is just sort of poetic notion. Wisdom is given by nature so that my species may survive. Well, we see a beautiful colored drawing of what appears to be a naked woman lying on her back. And you see this grassy terrain amidst the mountains. Well, the grass terrain becomes a part of her bush yeah okay? baby and the mountains are in the background of yeah. it so he was um channeling his sexual yeah, desire appetite. into and appetite into his work sure. well back to 1922 lena zvalvi she says well this guy did not like jerking off no i always thought he fell in love with helen walker because she looked exactly like him they had exactly the same hair, exact same facial features. It was like he was falling in love with himself. And all of a sudden, his life got a lot better. She was very rich. Her father was a famous surgeon in Chicago. Well, he made the society papers back in the day. Okay? So you see these titles, Sukalski to marry Chicago society girl. Society girl's Polish fiance is sculptor of the grotesque. And... This, for the first time, really afforded him the proper places and tools and publicity to accomplish his dreams. And Lena says, this is also when two books came out. They had a daughter. They named her Kalinka. 
And the books are titled The Work of Stanislaus Stukowski, the most beautiful and unusual volume ever published in the United States. So back then, he's even subtitling his own shit, saying I'm the greatest. Yeah. So th then he, he moved to California, and he gets into Hollywood. Whoa. Wait, uh, when is this? The 20s. What year? 1922. Damn. They were still Illuminati. doing the Still doing the talkies back then, yeah. if you know what I mean. Illuminati got him early. We bought a very large house in Outpost, back of Chinese theater. Well, as you know, Dave, that's wow. off Hollywood Boulevard. Yeah, Out, Outpost is in the hills, yeah. uh, the furthest east of you know the the Mulholland Drive, sure. the Mulholland Hills. Yeah. So right by the Hollywood Bowl. It's actually my own neighborhood. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yours and the guy who played Superman. Yeah, <laughs> fucking Christopher. Christopher. Yeah, fucking Christopher. I used to see that poor bastard every day. <laughs> poor smelly bastard. Well, you know his life's going great at this point. Well, there's a problem. Helen's frigid in the sack. Okay. Helen's frigid in the sack. She's she's not into she's, sex. Like oh, she's not is. into. It. Ooh. Yeah. She doesn't like. She doesn't like it. In sex, she would suddenly burst crying. Oh, no. Thought sex was evil. No, no. And that caused much troubles uh, and despair prude. on her part. What a prude. Well, Stas said, if I ever meet... It's like a, how my mother talks about sex. Another woman who wants me, I'll go with her. Oh, okay. So then the kid goes to nursery school and he meets the kid's teacher. Yeah. Her name's Joan. Well, we find out. I think I'll fuck the teacher. <laughs> that he divorces Helen. And. Horny fucking teacher. You have to understand, this makes the press at the time. Okay? These are headlines in the yeah. newspaper. Yeah, she's a prude fucking. Uh, desertion. Maybe she's a lesbian. Desertion is charged by Helen Zukalski. Uh. Well, almost overnight, from riches to rags, because she was loaded, yeah. he goes back to being on the street again. Good. Well, hey, that's He's, I'll give him the man that's some credit. Right. Yeah, he doesn't give a fuck. He just wants to have good sex. He just wants to fuck. Fucking make eagle fuck. sculptures. Fucking, <laughs> fucking sculpt, man. Oh. So he falls in love with Joan, and he writes her love letters. And, of course, he uses his own love letter, his language. And we see these long drawn out love letters in his own language which apparently he must have taught her the language to read them and in the margins there's all these erotic drawings okay and they're very they're very beautiful well that was the love of his life now we see stas and joan standing next to each other in an old-fashioned belted bathing or <laughs> swimming suits you know and they had the belts on their their uh what do you call it? Speedos? <laughs> it's like, why do you need a belt? I don't remember the belts set? too often, but I guess like I vaguely remember some belts. Yeah. They're like they're like a pair of underwear with a belt yeah, on yeah. them. And that's what well, you would go swimming. They didn't have with. elastic back. Elastic Is that back it? <laughs> Dude, I don't think they had elastic, man. I think you're right. So we see them, and Joan is taller than he is, and she's extremely androgynous. Yeah. And I'm attracted right away, of course. <laughs> you. Buddy, I like women with very square jaws. You know You're what I mean? fucking close, dude. <laughs> You're getting close, man. What do you mean? You're getting close. No, I like a masculine jaw on a woman. The, getting close to the cock, dude. No. So I like a nice masculine cock on a woman. 
So Jim Norton was talking about this recently. I didn't know that Jim Norton's wife actually has a penis. Oh yeah. I just thought that he had fucked. Okay, but men let's with just penises. back up. Yeah. That means she's not a wife. Uh, okay. Uh, I mean, she's a the, dude. Okay. <laughs> according to the state of New York, she's she's his wife. Okay. According to the state of reality, that's a dude. And the, okay. Yeah, if and the you laws marry, of reality, if you marry a guy with a dude with yeah, a dick, yeah. it's not your wife. That's your dude. <laughs> your okay? husband, yeah. Married a dude. Yeah. Let's call it what it is. Damn, dude, you're ruthless. It's. I'm sorry. It's the truth. It's isn't science, it? dude. Oh, that's what this all goes back to? I guess so. It's just a word. It's not science. It's just a cock. It's not science. All right. All right. In 79, okay, we're going to go to 79. Well, we see back, uh, Staz back at the, Stash, back at the drawing board. This is portrait of my wife who had very narrow, elongated face who I was married for 50 years and absolutely never had quarrels with. Statue looks like a guy. Okay. It's supposed to be a woman? Yeah. <laughs> Shit. Now, I don't like my women looking like guy guys. No. I just like a little touch of one. So, <laughs> fucking. Oh, man. So, it's clear that. I know this what you is, mean by the androgyny, though. Like, yeah. I, I, some, uh, some androgyny can be. Like Spock, basically. <laughs> <laughs> you like a nice. <laughs> uh, yeah. You don't have triangle ears. I can't get hard. It's not going to happen, dude. Come on. Uh, uh, well, Lena says, I adored Joan. She was the most gracious, refined woman I'd ever met. And Glenn and I would often visit Joan and Sukalski together, and we got along well. They were very kindred souls. And Glenn says, one day, he looked at me, the book! We'll publish the book. So apparently these Chinese people never came back to doing his book. And he's going to have Glenn, who's his uh, 60 years younger super fan, do his book. Well, Glenn gets permission to do the book. uh, But Lena helps out because he thought she could handle it. So they start out and they do the layout. And he's got the sculptures, he's got the drawings, the poetry. And Stas showed more photos and uh, says, are you sure you want me to put in here? And he says, let me tell you why I want to show you this. Well, he'd made a monument before Mussolini became a full-blown fascist and hooked up with Hitler. But Stas says... I want to show this in the book because you should have pictures of everybody changes history. He says, that's why we have carvings of Nero. That's what we know Hitler looks like. Don't forget these assholes. Well, the Mussolini sculpture he's talking about, before World War II, this comes from research, Sugalski had an obvious anti-Semitic and anti-Christian ideology that he would later turn down. But it's evident in the sculpture he made in 1932, which he called Remo Mussolini, and of course it made it for Benito Mussolini. Well, the starting point for this work was the Capitoline She-Wolf in the Capitoline Museum in Rome. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. But during the Renaissance, the sculpture with the wolf had already been modified with the addition of Romulus and Remus and the legend that accompanies them. Now, you know that legend, of course. Okay. In the position of the wolf, Zukalski placed Mussolini naked as a half-human, half-animal, extending Mm. his arm with the 
fascist movement, the fucking yeah, yeah. Heil Hitler shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in this case... <clears throat> the so, Roman salute. Oh, is that where <clears throat> it comes from? Sir. So the Roman salute turned into the Heil Hitler? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So anyway, Zukalski deconstructed Mussolini from a male hero of Italian fascism to the ideal of the mother raising her children. Okay? Oh. Now, in Roman mythology, for those that don't know, Romulus and Remus, they were twin brothers. Yeah. yeah. And they found the city of Rome. One had a cool name. The other one had a gay name. And then Romulus uh, pulled a fat fratricide on Remus. Yep. And fucking murdered him. Yeah. And the image of a she-wolf sucking the twins in their infancy has been a symbol of the city of Rome and the ancient Romans since at least the 3rd century B.C. Now, fratricide means the killing of a brother. Yeah. I have a question. Mm-hmm. Does the term refer to the person who has That's a killed great question. or the person who's killing? Because we got into this argument about homicide. Yeah. And is the person That's not a homo that do- that gets murdered. I know that. Every time you <laughs> every time Okay. No, I know that. But um uh, homo sapien or whatever. Let's is. start with matricide. Matricide okay. is killing of a mother. It's a is it the mother killing somebody or is it killing your no, mother? It's killing your mother. Matricide is killing your mother. So fratricide is killing your father. Fratricide is killing your brother. I don't okay. know what it is for sister. Nobody cares. Yeah. About sisters that with no kids. Daughters with no kids. Nobody cares. <laughs> that didn't found uh, Rome. Yeah. She was Fuck probably, them. She was probably, you know, hairy bush and retarded, but whatever. Okay. Okay. Anyway. Um, but yeah, so I've always wondered, is it the, you know. Who, who, is it the person? Yeah. yeah. Do, I think we just figured it out. I think somebody. Why? Because we just said that. Well, because his brother killed him. Yeah, so we don't know. So we still don't know. <laughs> okay, and good when point. you say homicide, like it's a homo it's sapien not, killing a homo sapien. Right, but, but not, when you not kill a homosexual. A, but here's the thing. When you kill a dog, uh-huh. it's not called a homicide. It's called canonicide. There you go. That's yeah. what we found out. It's, so it's the victim. Yeah. No, but no, that's the no. It's wrong. It's backward. No, no, because the felina. No, no, it's you. It's based on you, the person. Oh, uh, okay. So if I kill my mother, I'm a matricider. Yeah. No, you've committed. I've committed matricide. Yeah, 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 yeah. And by their Matris- well, then therefore I'm a matricider. <laughs> Mattress mattressist, maybe match. Um, anyway, yeah. Guys, tell us in the comments. Well, Bray says he would type everything out. Everything is eloquent. Although this might be here, that might be connected there. Lena would then, at that point, recompose it where it would read beautifully. It was my hopes that it would get into a museum, and the museum would say, where's this guy been? Not to happen. Well, next we see Stanislav in his front of his little uh, easel with his two-pencil pointer. Gray horse is jumping, but my my cat cannot do it. Because she's too skinny. Wrote me a song. (laughs) He says, says, wrote me a song. Oh, this is first book come out. This is one of my sculptures. These works are drawings of Sasquatch and Bigfoot. Uh Uh, They published this book and it's titled Trough Full of Pearls slash Behold! Exclamation, exclamation, exclamation. The Protong. In 1980, we're going to discuss... By the way, I think it has to do with the the person committing the thing. Oh, you're still on that? Yeah, because okay. look, because anything, if you died in any way, it would be considered a homicide then, right? Got it, yes. Yes, but it, the act of killing another 
And you killing some. Yeah. Okay, there you go. All right. So we're going to discuss a little bit more in detail about the Protong in the second episode. I haven't learned about Protons since I was in ninth grade, so I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Um, book doesn't do great. It sells about 1,200 copies. <laughs> Next, we meet an artist named Jim's, Jim Woodring, and he says, it was in Santa Monica, and I found a copy of Trough Full of Pearls. And I was swept away by the scope and the intensity and the originality of the thing. We also meet another artist named Adam Jones, who is a member of the band Tool. Whoa. I found this drummer. Work. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I'm not, I don't know. I'm not, my knowledge on Tool ain't all that. I'll oh, find out. I, I look him up, Adam okay. Jones Tool. He says, I found this book, this book I found, and he's holding it up, and it reads, Behold. Exclamation, 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 the proton. And Jose Ishmael Fernandez, the sculptor, says, How have I lived this many years and not even seen any of these images before? Another sculptor, Gabe Bartolo, says, I kind of felt like that famous Bigfoot photo, the one where he's walking. And yeah. I was walking and I saw it in the corner of my eye and I was like, What is that? And I looked at the book. Wow. What'd you find out? Adam Jones it? is the guitarist. Okay. So that tracks, you know. Like I mean, Tool writes some really dark stuff. Yeah. I mean, even their, like, a lot of their music videos are very surrealist. Absolutely. So, so that makes maybe sense. they pulled a little Galsk. Fucking Galsk, dude. Well, Jim says I would show this to everybody I encountered, to people in line at the supermarket, because I was so convinced this was an important thing. And Glenn mentioned Robert Crumb. I mean, you remember Crumb, right? Yeah, Robert Crumb. Well, Robert Crumb had called me through Robert Williams, and he says, hey, I'm going to start this new magazine called Weirdo, and I need <laughs> weird stuff. And DiCaprio says, Crumb was the George Washington of underground art. And Brace, <laughs> Bra right. Brace says, I'm doing it. And Harry Tubman was the... <laughs> okay, underground railroad. Here we go. Bray says, I said, I'm doing a book on this guy, Zukowski. And he said, what's that? Well, DiCaprio says he picked out the stuff that would raise the most hairs on your back. For most, that was one of the first exposures people had to his work. Well, one of the top sculptors in the world, and he's, he's in a fucking thing like weirdo, you know, with people doing stick figures and shit. That drug him into the bohemian world right there, you know. Rick Griffin was one of what was called the big five psychedelic poster artist. Now, if you've ever seen the vintage, you know, Grateful Dead posters from the San Francisco scene, uh, you know what I'm talking about? First of, all, first of all, I just don't like the idea of a guy with this accent that's knowing, his fucking, a, knowing, that's, knowing about my art. That's like Robert this Williams, low. man. He's fucking, he talks like that. And that's just not a good thing probably for your art. Well, imagine. Uh, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm the fucking... <laughs> Stugavinsky, whatever his name Stukowski, was. Stukowski, man. But what's his first name? It's Stavon Gifts. Um, Stanislav. Stanislav Stuvinsky. Fuck. Stukowski. Stukowski. God, well, anyway, so we see Rick Griffin, who was one of the five major psychedelic artists, uh, poster artists of uh, the 60s. You know, they would do like Jefferson Airplane, you know, uh, Janet Joplin, Big Brother and the Holding Company. You've seen the art. It's always, yeah. it's, a lot of times it's monochromatic, sure. but 
Um, it's anyway. multisyllabic. And <laughs> <laughs> we see a picture of a, a slyly smiling mustache Rick Griffin sitting on a stoop shirtless with a tight pair of white shorts on. He's got a cowboy hat and he's holding a blackbird in his right arm and is showing us a poster with his left hand. Uh, and Robert says, <laughs> shortly after I met oh, him. one second. Yeah. Can you go over that look one more time? Who's in what again? This is Rick Griffin, the guy who does all the psychedelic Griffin, art. He's in, oh, he's, okay. He, shirtless. He's shirtless. On a stoop. On a stoop. Tight white shorts on. Tight. How tight? Like, like Super tight. Like spandex yeah, almost? close. Okay. Not with a belt. He's not like in the 20s. Okay. He's got the cowboy hat on and he's holding okay. a blackbird in his right arm. And is showing. An actual a, blackbird. Yeah. Showing okay. a poster. And Robert Williams says, shortly after I'd met him, he slipped over into being born again. Well, when he met Zukowski, he saw that work. He went fucking nuts. The name he gave Zukowski was Zuk, and he saw Zukowski as a god. I think Zukowski liked that. Like like bazooka. So I think what we're seeing here is Rick Griffin's entire psychedelic phase of these posters were inspirations from... I gotta see this Rick Griffin shit. Will I re- would I recognize him, dude? If you Googled Grateful Dead poster oh, from yeah. the '60s, yeah. Oh, so he did all those. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Woodring says one of the reasons I love to visit Zukowski um, was that he was a natural born teacher and he liked to show me things. And we also meet another sculptor. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You know what I'm talking oh, about? Oh yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. All yeah. that Grateful Dead shit. Yeah, like Jimi Hendrix and the experience, yeah, 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 you know, yeah, yeah, things yeah. like that. Well, James Kegel, the sculptor, says, the advice that he gave me, it almost seemed religious. Pretty, pretty psychedelic, yeah. And most of the people I work with are not religious. And he told me that before you sculpt, you need to get down on your knees, almost in prayer to it. And Suzanne says, I remember him looking at my painting and he said to me, you know, this is worthless. <laughs> Uh, it's not saying something. You need it to say something. Concept makes you a great artist. Always remember that you have something to tell and you'll make a masterpiece. And if you come to me, I'll kiss you on the forehead and pet your nose. Well, Adam Jones from Tool, he says, to me, Zukalski is a mystic, a modern master. You know... What's going on in this guy's head must be vast. Coming from a background of sculpting and making effects, makeup effects, which I didn't know, by the way. The tool guy used to do fucking makeup effects in movies, apparently. When he draws something, it looks so 3D. And the light's correct. The math of space and light and bending the physics and the geometry and taking liberties that are elegant and don't necessarily make sense in life, but they make sense. And Jim says, he and I... Like, the only way I I can explain that is that, like, some of these things look like they're sort of natural positions with... Slightly over rotations yeah. of the limb or something. Exaggerations. Slight exaggerations. Yeah. And they're very muscular. So you could kind of the the body parts are usually quite muscular. So you could tell that they're defined right. that in the direction that they're going and stuff like that. So But you're just talking about the anatomical stuff he does, yeah, the biological but, stuff. Yeah, yeah. But that's the, I'm just saying that like like but uh, yeah, they look at at, his, at a 
at certain angles, they look normal. At other yeah. angles, they look very complex. Yeah, and then at another angle, you got a finger that's got fucking four eagle claws yeah. fucking trying to eat I, a thumb. I saw that fucking that thing's pretty trippy. <clears throat> well, Jim says, he and I shared an interest in frogs. And he taught me how to make a little frog croak with his hand. And he does this. It's very cool. And he goes, you can actually go out and converse with frogs with this thing. And he's like, hear it? And it's like... It's cool. And I'm like, that's kind of cool. I wouldn't mind talking to a frog. Yeah, and you already talked to cats all day. DiCaprio says, Stash was a guest at my house on many occasions. And one day I had left out a weather-beaten copy of his book. And he said, let me sign that one so you'll always keep it. So here it is. And he wrote in his hieroglyphics that no one can read. To Leonardo, wonderful son of George, love and warning, please don't grow up too fast. Stash Shukowski, 81 Burbank. And then we see a picture of Stash hugging a very young Leonardo DiCaprio. He's probably five or six at the time. Wow. Well, Glenn says, I think that really puts some wind in his sails, knowing that young people were once again drawn to him. We were, <laughs> we were, we were his only fucking peer group, Okay. Wait, what? We were his only fucking peer group. Oh, peer group. Doing Robert Williams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The irony is me and my underground friends, the lowest fucking phylum of art, have become associated with this gentleman who at one time stood with the Giants. Yeah. I'm sure if me and... Fucking Sukalski, man. (laughs) Rick Griffin and a few of those underground artists were back in Poland, Sukalski wouldn't have given us a fucking time of day. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> it's yeah. fucking awesome how things like yeah, work sure. that way you know sure 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 well we also yeah mean, sometimes you just fucking <laughs> polish art just moves to granada hills i'm pretty sure valley, that my know? work will be discovered uh-huh. when i'm like 95 uh-huh. with like two hours left to live <clears throat> and somebody would be like oh my god you're amazing and i'll be like thanks good night you remember down on the docks dude it's <laughs> all right i'll make you famous bro it's not about being famous. It's just about being respected by your peers. That's always been the oh. most important thing to me. Okay. I'd rather have respect for my peers than fame or money or fortune. <laughs> you want to go out and do what you want to do and not have these guys in the back going, this guy fucking sucks. You're like, they say about <laughs> <Okay>. me. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <I know. laughs> well, writer uh, Jacek uh, Stanisowski, he says, everyone can have their own Sukalski. Obviously, some American comic writers perception might be missing the point altogether there is this whole story about wild polish fantasies people in poland associate Sukalski with the homeland purity the sort of meta pagan the pagans pagan and treat him as this prophet it's like a comics comic we we see multiple (laughs) dudes being tattooed with various images of Sukalski's works and even Zukalski's face. And we meet somebody, an artist by the name of Merrick Hapen, and he says he was a man who was creating art that was inspired by another dimension, you might say. In the dimension occupied by gods, his work is absolutely temple art. Well, let's get some, um, some uh, clinical perspective from the suits 
And uh, yeah, I want to know how much this shit's worth. A professor of history at Yale University by the name of Timothy Snyder, who wrote on tyranny, 20 lessons from the 20th century. He says, you don't usually find so much megalomania, even in megalomaniacs. At the end of the First World War is the moment when Poland is recognized as an independent state. And Zukalski saw in the renewal of Poland a chance to become a world historical figure, which makes perfect sense that he would want to go back. So Hapen says, Zukalski realized that Poland needed to create national art that would speak to its own soul and its own nature. So we're going to go to Krakow in the 1920s. Time to meet Sugalski biographer, Professor Dr. Hab Lechaslaw Lemanski. Now he's speaking in Polish and I can't speak in Polish. Oh no. The artist from Gendarnorg, Unicorn Artist Guild, whom Suzalski knew from his years at Krakow's Academy, invited him to the exhibition. At my exhibitions, I would attack academic education. Now, we see these newspaper headlines. The haves and the haves nots. <laughs> that read, burn the art academy, and Poland deserves yeah. true Polish art. Ooh, I like it. I well, don't want any of that Western influence. Exactly. Well, Snyder from Yale says, Sukalski says that the only thing which is true are authentic ethnic heritages. Wow. It's the Slavic world, which is ancient and pure. Oh, shit. Remind you of anybody? <laughs> Maybe a couple couple uh, borders down that <laughs> no. did some shit they shouldn't have been doing? No. This guy doesn't seem like a fascist. Well, st- keep in mind, this is the 20s. Yeah. You know, this is before Hitler, you know, was Rose, doing his, but it, Yeah, but, Hitler but was ideas, painting. At the this ideas time. are out there. <laughs> Those <laughs> ideas have been out there for a while. But Hitler's down the road painting. He's painting. He's, yeah. that's, that's probably why he's like, he's probably thinking, he's probably looking at, at Hitler like, motherfucker, like, it's better than him in art. And I would have probably finished up the job. So... Suskal says, bigoted Catholics, they are enslaved. Only those who are not religious are real Poles and patriots. Well, Piotr, from uh, the director of the Museum of Warsaw, says Poland in the 30s is still cultivating its traditional Catholicism. There's nothing Catholic in Sukalski. And I think this is another American trait of Sukalski's. He's very media savvy. He's proactive. And he uses provocation very consciously, I believe. Well, we see headlines. They say, what do you think of Zukowski, sir? And that is the question heard on every corner of Krakow today. Well, Snyder says, Zukowski believes in the Polish romantic idea that there's a single person who mystically embodies the nation. He clearly <laughs> believed that he was a national genius in that sense. I had been exhibiting and causing quite much commotion in Krakow. Well, he had successful shows, and he becomes a hero for the media. And a Polish newspaper says there's 20,000 people that see his exhibit. I have to get some booze. 
At my exhibition, the young students came and they said, there's a large group of Catholic students who are supposed to beat you for attacking church. Now we have agreed that we are on the side of God. And I say, let us gather in a cafe and we'll form a tribe. The tribe will be called the Horned Heart. Okay. Do things only that you love. I thought he started to sound like a cult leader for a second. I thought I heard the inklings of a call. We see him in his little horn heart heart outfit. Oh, he's got an outfit, too. Yeah, and it's right across his chest. He he, he forms the horn hearts. We're going to get more into that in part two. Okay. Do things only that you love or hate in your art. You have to become a propagandist. Okay, hold on. Yeah. You got to throw me a little bit of a bone here. At least by the end of this episode. Yeah. You got to kind of tell me, like, I need to know what one of his pieces is worth, sort of. Uh, I don't have that information today. Well, Dr. Hab explains to us that at the request of the master, meaning Sugalski, yeah. he gets all of his followers to dress all alike, mm. and they all have the same haircuts. Mm. Okay? <laughs> and then they wear the horned heart yeah. on their chest. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, Glenn says, I found his horned heart tribe sweater and I found his belt. They probably they have a lodge and everything. They'd probably sag on Pee Wee Herman. Maybe he liked them tight. I don't know. So this was a very tight fitting jumpsuit. <laughs> okay. said the horned heart. I'm, I'm starting to get the picture of yeah. what they look like. Well, we meet uh, Majesh Maison, who's an art historian. He said, Majesh. Sukalski <laughs> was very similar to Da Vinci. Uh, he's just Da Vinci. Yeah, I, oh, really? It was simply <laughs> really? impossible. You didn't say provocation. <laughs> it was simply impossible to imitate him. His followers tried to, uh, with better or worse results, because you need to have an imagination, as Zukowski did. Yeah. He would sit down and imagine an object instead of drawing from plaster or nature. Yeah, man. I always imagine the things I am going to do in every detail. Well, Meshish Maijan says, <laughs> rotating in his mind, side to side, top to bottom, until he chose the right angle. And then he would take a sharp pencil and start making dots. It was amazing. Wow. And we see the little dot patterns come up. Wow. Into the sculpture? Yeah. Sick. No, no. This is just hand drawings. Oh, hand drawings. Hand drawings. Okay. Yeah. Well, Piotr says the vision that Zukowski had of a great, powerful Polish state these are plans of a strange kind of megal- megalopolis with huge highways. Megapolis. <laughs> Just an unfortunate word either way. And administrative buildings. So we see these plans. He's like creating a whole city. Yeah. Okay. And Majus Mejan says he yearned for a second Poland. And that second Poland would need a new coat of arms. Here I have Polish eagle. Reduced to double-bladed acts that I proposed. And Hapon says, Suzalki starts looking at Poland as lands populated by heroes, populated by forgotten gods, which made him into kind of an artist priest. And Snyder says, that has nothing to do with the actual history and historical reality of Eastern Europe. Right. Suzalski's idea of truth is not factual truth, but some deeper truth. And Piotr says he easily transports decorations, ornaments, and symbols from pre-Columbian cultures 
to these old Slavic cultures. Now, Snyder says it's normal that a nationalist comes in from somewhere else and then overdoes it. Well, he takes on some ultra-Polishness, which is indigestible for the Poles. They don't understand what he's doing. And Snyder says national genius is not actually a job description, but from 26 to 35, Poland is led by someone called Josef Pilsudski. And Pilsudski wanted a multicultural country. There was a place for Poles, Jews, Ukrainians, everyone. And that wasn't Sukalski. Well, for the anti-nationalistic progressive critic, Sukalski was the embodiment of everything that is threatening in Polish culture, even stupid. So we hear or see headlines rather that say another offensive appearance by Mr. Sukalski and what to do with Sukalski. Newspapers reported in Krakow that I am returning to America and that I am disgusted with Poland. Well, that was his ego, okay? And it kind of killed it. And although Sukalski, you know, was allowed to go on on that path, it was not an easy path. And Jim Woodring, uh, a modern artist that we talked about briefly, he says he was on a mission to establish himself as the world's greatest artist. I was able to get him an audience with the director of the Norton Simon Museum. And yeah, we got Pasadena. into Yep, we got into the inner sanctum of So what there's a big rep there's a replica of the thinking man on the outside of it. Oh yeah? Yep. Well, they get into the inner sanctum. They seem to be okay with replicas. <laughs> That's true, Dave. There's a curator, and then he finally comes into the room and stuck or his the hand thinker, out. Thinker, I guess is the word. Yeah. It's Rodan. Uh, I believe. The thinker is the word. And then he says, Mr. Sukalski, I'm glad to meet you. And Sukalski doesn't shake his hand and starts pointing to the walls and says, I see you have excremental dabs by Picasso and Matisse hanging on your walls. And Excremental? Yes. (laughs) What a prick. Sukalski says, I called him Picasso, the ultimate castrated (laughs) failure. (laughs) It's dude. Yeah, he's not, Pekoski's not very well respected. Not by the gods. By, by, by a lot of artists. Well, the curator says, okay, nice to meet you. See you later. My secretary will see you out. And then they walk out to the car and he's like, Stas, what are you doing? Why'd you do that? And he said, I am not going to kowtow to these phony arbiters of corrupt taste. I don't care. <laughs> okay. Well, we meet now Natalia Fabia, and she's an artist, and she's describing his work, and she says it reminds me of why most people become artists in the first place, and I love that. I like that raw punk rock attitude. Um, He's just a badass punk rock who didn't give a shit about what other people think. Zukowski's worst enemy was Stas, you know? That was his worst goddamn enemy. Well... We meet Charles Snyder. He's a writer, artist, and magician. I just follow this, <laughs> <laughs> just follow this Schneider. Uh, proper, C-H, S-C-H. Okay, okay. And it was at an art show at the Otis Parsons School of Design in Los Angeles. And amongst the crowd, I finally spotted Glenn Bray and Lena. And between them, a short man, five feet. And he's looking at these rather popular works in the gallery and yelling, Fartists! Fartists! <laughs> Crazy, dude. I love it. <laughs> you create art with capital F, you fart. You don't get art. 
<laughs> well, Woodring says he didn't like anybody's work. And as far as I could tell, the only thing he liked was his own. It sounds like a lot of comedians. You know, yeah. I, don't, I don't watch anybody else's specials. I don't watch anybody else's specials. I wasn't talking about you. Don't like I wasn't talking about you. Well, I don't think it's because they don't like them. Mm. They just don't want other people's voices in their heads. Mm-hmm. As an American, you have no cause. You are nobody that creates nothing. Well, Glenn says he has a TV. There's movies there, concerts. He didn't think it was culture, okay? This is talking about it in his house. In America, the supreme civilization that walks on the moon, that tickles Mars. But we have no culture. People direct our interest from our heart, from our love, from our passion. People get less and less intelligent so that the predator can conquer us. We are being destroyed from within. Now, as he's saying this, we see his TV in the background, and it's like there's a Kiss concert there. You got Three's Company on the tube, you know, McDonald's, NASCAR, you know, corporate garbage, the Three Stooges, hockey players. This is obviously a directorial choice here. You see hot women in bikinis. People are laughing, and then horror movies, and then the last image they use is comedian Gallagher. <laughs> Smashing a fucking Smashing a watermelon. watermelon. Of course it is. Yep. So, is uh, he coming down like directly at you in front of the camera? Like he's about to smash the camera, but he smashes no, the watermelon? Okay. No. We meet James Cagle, who's a, uh, a modern sculptor, and he says one day he did admit that he had worked on a movie himself. He said, I'd never seen it. He didn't even remember the name. But it was something with a big gorilla. And I thought, it can't be. And I said, King Kong, 1933? And he says, yeah, that was it. No, 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 no. Don't tell me he worked on King Kong. He did. He really? To make models? Like, he, like New York models? He did landscaping for the oh, island. Oh, no. And he says, they paid me very well. Yeah, he probably hated it. Well, that's where we're going to end. Because the movie then shifts to Los Angeles, but we've covered enough for today. So, Dave, as you know, I told you going into this episode, I think there's a high likelihood that you're going to want to watch this documentary and pop your cherry on Down on the Docks. Am I correct in that assessment? Now, granted, you've also had a, a visual aid to see some of these works. Yeah. And they're dirtbag, like I said. You know, they're not know, they're not dude. paintings. No, they're not dude, roses. They're, fucking, they're sick-ass they're, sculptors. They're dude. sick shit, This right? not dirtbag. I know. I'm just harkening back to my uh, trapper sure. keepers that I remember all fucking, the dirtbags. These are fucking... These are, these are legit. So do you think you're going to watch this documentary? Or maybe I don't you, think so. You don't think so? No, I mean, okay. Damn. I'm, I might go look up how much his pieces are worth, though. Well, we'll talk about that in part two. Okay. Guys, thank you for taking the time to join Down on the Docks, episode 75. Um, as always, Dave, can you please tell our listeners what they can do to help us out around here? Guys have to go to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a five-star review. In the comment section, I want you to talk about how unfunny I am. Okay. And how poorly I treat women and my co-host <laughs> and all my friends and my family, how terrible I am at my job, just really lay it on thick. And then you could say Chris is cool too, but find us on Instagram at Down on the Docks Pod. We post some pretty good memes there. Retard sexual blowtorch is the best in the business. Must admit. I have a review this week <clears throat> from Clomo Crohane Crow. This is about last week's episode. 
Dave talking about Hunter Biden being an artist couldn't stop laughing. So entertaining. <laughs> yeah. Best podcast show ever. Yes. <laughs> yes, dude. Yes. I got it. Are you happy? I'm happy. Okay, guys, that's a wrap for this week. We'll see you next with part two of Struggle, the life and lost art of Sugalski. Currently on Netflix if you want to Three watch Three exclamation that. points. <laughs> yeah, struggle. <laughs> okay, see you next week.